Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Investigate beautifully detailed scenes of the 1920s, finding out what happened to her or your in the game, sister. With hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles, the next clue is always within reach. Search for hidden objects from the parlours of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. Each chapter uncovers a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve, and I've had a lot of fun. Currently on chapter 7, making progress little by little, tapping away on my phone to get all the puzzle pieces in place. While searching for the murderer, or whatever happened to your sister, you get to decorate your own island with gardens and buildings and chat and play with other Others by joining a detective club. It's a lot of fun and very social. I play while I'm on the train. It keeps me active between my journeys to London and I love the time limits that are pushing me to find those clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of On the Edge with Andrew Gold. I got to meet in real life and hang out with the one and only Richard Dawkins. Many of you will know who he is, some might not. He is a prominent, perhaps the world's most prominent evolutionary biologist, and he became very well known, I, th- I think, in the, was it the 80s? <laughs> That's the kind of thing that the podcast is supposed to know. I'm, wait, let me look that up. God Delusion, I'm keeping you all in the know, uh, while I. So the God Delusion was 2006, and then there was the Selfish Gene which was 1976, uh, popular science and all those kinds of things helping us to understand how we became who we are today, but also popularizing, speaking openly about atheism. And part of that over the years has included warning against all kinds of magical thinking. And like many uh, I suppose scientists who don't suffer fools gladly, he's also talked hmm, negatively about some of the postmodern ideas going around universities and academia today. Uh, I'm talking about the sort of woke culture. I know no one, no one, everyone's going, oh, don't say the word woke because you're not supposed to say it anymore. But I think it's a, I think it's actually a good word. Everybody hates that word. I think it's a really good word because it so perfectly encapsulates, it sums up Uh, exactly what most people think it is. Uh, Whether that's a positive or negative thing depends on who you are and what your opinions are. But he became a little bit outspoken recently saying, look, there are two sexes. Stop talking about it as if there aren't, you know, and whether there's this thing called gender, some sort of social construct as an irrelevant argument as to the uh, policies and things that people put into place around, uh, you know, kind of trans person in the same changing room, a chat trans woman with in women's changing rooms and sports and things like that. Um, so he's spoken out a bit about that kind of thing. He was recently on Piers Morgan's uh, show where he, he spoke about that and refused to answer certain questions about Islam, which a lot of people found very sad because this very heroic, outspoken person had been subdued to an extent uh, and, and scared like many of us are to speak out against something that might get them killed anyway we talk about all of those things uh and more we go into uh atheism what it's like when we die um ways we can stop thinking about that 
different kinds of aliens and what they might look like. We talk about Piers Morgan and have a bit of a gossip about him, which was a lot of fun. And I, throughout felt very scared and nervous because Richard sometimes just he's got this sort of this way of answering very precisely and and which is great in in many respects but also means you have to have a lot of questions ready to fill the hour um but really it was it was fantastic getting to meet a hero of mine so Richard Dawkins um he has a substack called the poetry of reality where he asks that you discuss several very, very interesting concepts. And that is going to be turned into a podcast very soon. So do check out The Poetry of Reality on... Just just go like, type that in on Richard Dawkins' Substack. You can sign up and get his newsletter. Uh, and that will keep you up to date with when the podcast will be coming out. Uh, other big episodes coming up. It's David Baddiel next. Also talking about uh, belief and atheism and why he loves God despite being an atheist. So that was really interesting, getting to talk to another hero of mine and some other really big episodes coming up. But now you're on the edge of, uh, well, the God's delusion and the selfish gene with Richard Dawkins. Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, thank you. Good, good. I spoke to David Bedil yesterday. He's got a new book out called, and I, I, I was interviewing him, and I accidentally started the podcast by saying David Bedil, who wrote the the God Delusion. And he <laughs> went, no, stop! I'll stop you there. It's the the God Desire. Have you come across it? I've come across him, I think, but I would anyway carry on. He's the comedian who wrote. Uh, he wrote Football's Coming Home. Yes, um, and several other things. Yes, He's a, you know, stand-up comedian. And I think he said somebody asked for him to sign his book, and it was your nephew or they said they were your nephew is that possible possible <laughs> i uh, don't know yeah i haven't heard about it but maybe that is possible i think you and him are both uh, phenomenal th- thinkers uh, one of the things i discussed with david is he was talking about where he differs from you because you're both uh, atheists and he writes about atheism uh, and he said that he believes sometimes there's sort of a macho thing going on in atheism where we say we're not scared of certain things ricky gervais for example and i've, I've heard you say uh about the afterlife, you know, I, I was not alive for a very long time before. I'm not going to be alive, so it doesn't bother me. Is that how you really feel, or is it something you have to say to yourself for comfort? It's something I feel. I, I, I don't think of it as macho. I mean, it's just it's just rational, actually. Um, I mean, I, I think I probably quoted Mark Twain uh, saying, I was dead for billions of years before I was born and never suffered the smallest inconvenience. <laughs> Yeah, David, I think he quoted Bertrand Russell, who said a similar thing uh, along the line, which, which is what he was saying was macho, I think, um, about the scorn for people who feared death. Yeah, Bertrand Russell said, when I die, I shall rot, and nothing of my ego shall survive. I'm not a young man, and I love life, but I would scorn to shiver with terror at the thought of annihilation. That's a liter- That's an exact quote from Bertrand Russell. How do you have these? I don't have many. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I even looked at it just before and I already forgot half the words. So it's just the way different minds work, I suppose. Mine doesn't work quite so well. But David was saying, you know, he, well, he does fear the, the death, the afterlife, and, uh, or no afterlife, I should say. And the fact that, I guess his point was, right now I am alive and I do feel things. So right now I do fear that there'll be nothing afterwards. Yes, and it's very understandable. Um, um, 
we have to live in the moment because when we're dead, we we don't exist at all. And so there's nothing to fear there. Um, there's a lot to miss uh, because you, um, if you love life, as Bertrand Russell said he did, and I do, then it's very sad to to miss life. It's very sad to miss out if you're a scientist on all the things that are going to happen. I mean, things are developing all the time. And uh, it would be wonderful to know what people will know in 500 years' time. That would be a, a supremely interesting thing. Um, and so it is sad to miss that. Yeah. I, it actually keeps me up at night. So I had this whole existential crisis talking to David Baddiel yesterday, just thinking, what can I... St- what can I think of that will comfort me in this? And I guess that's what I mean when I say, so Ricky Gervais also said that, you know, I was I was dead for millions of years before, I'd be dead for eternity yes. after. It doesn't doesn't work for me to comfort me. Have you yes, got anything? Yes, yes, I, I, I not really, no. Um, I just don't think there's any point in being comforted by a lie. Uh, um, no. So, so better face up to the truth, really. <laughs> if you could inject a serum into your mind or something that would make you believe the lie just for comfort's sake, would you do that? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I think it's an interesting question and um, uh, make me believe a lie, no. Um, make me not worry about a truth that worries me about it. But I worry about it present, yes, I think. It, if, if, say, um, uh, I can't think of an example, but 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 I, I could imagine um, being frightened of something or being um, upset about something, and and a, a drug that you inject that makes you no longer upset. But I don't think I'd want a drug that made me believe a falsehood. Hmm. I suppose that's a bit brave new world with the soma that they put into. It's a very good parallel, yes. Ah. Uh, and and the um, the this savage in Brave New World actually had this argument with the world controller, Mustafa Mond, um, where the savage was saying, Shakespeare's good, and Mustafa Mond was saying, yes, but the downside of that is is you have all the terrible um, emotions and sadness and, and, and things that you get in, in Hamlet and, and Othello and Romeo and Juliet. Um, and, the, and the savage was saying, that's what I want. And Mustafa Mond said, you're welcome. When I read that as a teenager... I was on the side of the savage going, yeah, Shakespeare's great and all this yes. stuff. And I reread it recently and I found myself a little less clear on where yes, I stand. Because yes. I thought, gosh, I, I do worry a lot and it would be nice to just take a drug yes, and be fine. Yes, 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 I can see that. Mm. But you wouldn't take that one that makes you believe there's an afterlife. I wouldn't want to make me believe in a falsehood. I, I, I might make one take one that make, makes me not worry about something I do worry about. A lot of my viewers and subscribers I do believe in an afterlife. They believe in religions and things because this channel primarily at the moment we focus on cults and things like Scientology. Often they'll say, I can't believe people believe in Lord Zenu from Scientology, but uh, but the real God is our Lord and Jesus and things like that. I don't want to alienate those people, of course, who are watching and might be interested. Uh, but one thing I was wondering, and I think you actually, there was a recent interview you did with Piers Morgan and you sort of touched on it. I think it felt like you didn't really believe that he believed that there's this afterlife and God and things like that. And I, I said that, that, yes. Yeah. How do you, do you think they don't deep down believe it? I, I can't speak for them but in the abstract. Um, something made me think 
Piers Morgan didn't believe. I think Piers Morgan's a fool. Um, <laughs> so I'm not really much interested in what he believes, actually. Oh, you said something similar off air, and I didn't think you might you would repeat well, it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, he definitely interrupts a lot, doesn't he? I'm sure, you can say that again. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you think he doesn't? Oh, I don't know. So maybe he's playing to his, or some people might play to their spectators. By there, there may, there's maybe plenty of people who play, play to their audience, yes. And yeah. suggest they have a belief in spirituality yeah, and God yes, and things like yes. that. Man, I always wondered that. I, I suppose there's so many examples of, of people who, who are religious, but when they're about to die, again, I remember now Piers Morgan was saying, doesn't it give you comfort thinking that they're going to the afterlife of friends of yours and things? But people don't. People are terribly depressed when their friends die. If they really did believe it, then then they'd be saying things like, um, oh, oh, you're going to die. Good for you. Yeah. Give my love to Uncle Charles when you see him. Yeah. I'll come with. Yes. <laughs> yeah. How fantastic. I wonder if belief is sometimes... Um, you've seen my exorcism film and yes. I do work on cults and things like that. Do you think belief might be... Uh, of course it's a coping mechanism for the afterlife and not knowing what's happening when we die uh, but is it also for some people an excuse to do terrible things in what way if I believe that there's a, a god and I'm working for him I can oh of course yes hmm. I mean if you really really believe that your god wants you to kill infidels and some do and they really really believe it that is very dangerous, of course. Yeah. Do you think there's something about the human need to believe in these things? Like, what is it about us that makes us believe? I don't understand why something that you can call a need to believe or getting comfort from belief actually makes you believe. You can't will yourself to believe something. Either you believe it or you don't. You can't say, I, I want to believe so-and-so, therefore I do. Um, if the evidence doesn't support it, how can you believe it? Well, people often bring up Pascal's wager, don't they? And they say... Right, ridiculous, yes. <laughs> I've, I get told it all the time, like, you might as well believe because then you can go... And it's like, do your beliefs work that way that you can just make yourself believe a thing? Well, that's, of course, one point. You can't make yourself believe something. And, and the other thing about... Plenty of things about Pascal's wager. Another thing is, maybe it's the wrong god. I mean, you get up there and discover he's <laughs> Baal or, or, or Mithras. Or, or Piers Morgan. Or, or, well, no. Um... <laughs> So no, I mean, um, and, and also, e even if it was, even if it, the God you think you, you're sucking up to, what kind of a good God would reward you for sucking up in that way rather than actually being rational? I often think that as mm. well. I, I, if there was, if there's a God, he doesn't want me to be on my knees doing all this pious, boring stuff. No, <laughs> I don't know. At, at what point in your life did you realise you were an atheist? About fifteen. Do you remember what, what made that happen? Well, understanding Darwinism. Well, I think that's fair enough. At some stage in your past, every animal who ever lived belonged to the same species as its parent, yet you are descended from a fish. Yes. <laughs> Can you explain that? Well, that's that? absolutely true. Um, you are descended from a fish. So if you go back and back and back and back and back far enough, you'll come to a fish. And yet, every single generation is the same species as the previous generation. The change is so gradual. So it's like when you change from a child to a teenager to an adult to a middle-aged to an old. Um, you, there's no one day when you say, I've stopped being middle-aged, now my, my birthday's come and I'm now old, or I've stopped being a teenager. Actually, well, that's the one case where legally you, you, you can say that I've, I'm now I've reached voting age, which is a fiction, of course. Um, but actually, it's a gradual change all the way through embryo to baby to infant to toddler to etc and um 
So there's no one moment when you change from one, one of these states to another. And exactly the same in our ancestry. There's no one moment when any species changes into another species. It happens all gradually. So, if, But if you take that gradual process back and back and back far enough, you'll come to a fish. That's amazing. Was there then, and I'm being slightly facetious when I ask, because I don't know enough about it, but was there then one fish and then the fish's son had like half a leg and then like a tiny bit of a leg and, and so on? Well, <laughs> kind of, uh, yes, okay, I, I wouldn't put it like that, but, but yeah. sort of, yes. Sort of, how, how is it, how would you put it, how did it happen? Well, the, 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 there was a group of, of fish um, uh, which, 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 did, which did have fins, which, which were kind of like legs, and which were evolved into, into legs, um, and the modern relations of those fish are lungfish and... Um, and um, coelacanths, and uh, they um, were a, a group of fish on, on their own. They were once rather widespread, and now they're rather rare, except that we are descended from them. And they were fish who, whose fins became, became leg-like, leg and, and they emerged onto the land, and, and their fins turned into legs. Uh, and you can trace the actual bones which became the humerus and the radius and the ulna and the femur and, and, and the tibia and the fibula. Um, and um, yes, yeah, so, so that's pretty much what, what happened. But it happened so gradually, you would never have had a, there would never have been a moment when you said, oh, there's no longer a fish. I find that's fascinating. And it, it, it really, but it's it, logically necessary. It's not, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not revealing to you any facts. It's just once you accept it, well, that's, uh, that, of course, is a fact. But once you've, once you've accepted that, then what I've just said has to follow. And then religion, as, as we know it, and those kinds of beliefs can't then follow. Well, that's a separate issue. Yeah. Well, going back to that then, are there other kinds of magical thinking? I'm thinking particularly of uh, what's happened recently with sort of Maori uh, New Zealand language. Is that um, another kind of sort of the, the so-called postmodernism? Is well, that uh, I think you're alluding to a controversy which has arisen in New Zealand recently, which I got involved in because I was in New Zealand, where the New Zealand government is trying to push the idea that Maori, quote, quote ways of knowing should be taught in science classes. And it's this sort of bending over backwards to be, be nice to an indigenous minority. Um, and um, of course you need to, you, my, my view is of course you need to teach the mythology of the country in which you live, and that's important, as mythology, but not as science. And it's simply confusing and muddling to New Zealand children to teach them, on the one hand, to teach them what we know about the origin of the universe and the origin of the, of the world, uh, and we know quite a lot, not, not everything, um, and at the same time to say that it's, it's because of the sky father and the earth mother and, and stuff like that, which is pure mythology. Yeah, I think you were saying that there were, you wrote that there are some bits that we can, some good bits we can take from Maori. Well, of course you can, and you can take some bits from it, from any any cultures folk beliefs and but there's but there's no particular reason why you should take the folk mythology of of one people any more than any other i mean it's, scientific knowledge is unique and it's worldwide is they they wrongly categorize it as western it's not western at all it belongs to all of humanity science is the way we know about the truth science is equipped with has equipped itself with mechanisms for avoiding self-deception, subjective judgment, 
So um, the only approach to the truth is the scientific way, and that belongs to all humanity and is not not to be regarded as, um, you just mentioned postmodernism just now, um, not to be regarded as the property of one particular cultural group. It reminds me of, I had a Professor John McWhorter, he came on to oh, talk, yes. the linguist, to talk about the Sapir Whorf um, uh, hypothesis, the idea that uh, language can shape um, feelings and, yes. and almost give you superpowers to an extent. You know, there's a, a tribe in Australia that apparently can use like a GPS in their head, a satellite navigation, because they use west and north and east instead of left and right. It's it's all a bit wishy-washy. Um, and a lot of people in linguistics are trying to say that, uh, look at all these other languages that that's bestow us with superpowers and they're better languages. And John McWhorter said the problem with that kind of talk is we have to then say that there are also things in our language that are better, clearly, than in other languages, and nobody wants to do that yeah, in academia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is yes. that a problem you find in academia in general? Uh, yes, I, I, I wasn't aware of that particular... I, I, I read some of John McWhorter, but, but I wasn't aware of that. It sounds very interesting. Mm, he's great. Yeah. Yes. So do you, do you come up against... I mean, do you have colleagues and professors who you, who you think, gosh, wh why are you towing to this kind of... I suppose it's woke is a word that no one likes to use these days, but that kind of thing. I don't have many colleagues who do, but, but I read about them. Yeah. Well, fair, yeah, fair enough. Does it is it is that something that should be put in the sort of beliefs box alongside belief in a deity? Well, you'd have to specify what exactly what you mean, but I'm inclined to think yes. Um, I don't mean it is a religion in all respects, um, but there are similarities. It, it, it's not supernatural, but 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 um, things like um, the well. The collective guilt which white people are encouraged to feel about the dark past of slavery and things has a very strong resonance with original sin, the Christian doctrine that we're all born in sin, the sin of Adam. We inherit the sin of Adam. Um, Adam never existed, but and they know that, but nevertheless still talk about it as, as original sin. So that there, there is uh, that. I think John McWhorter has actually made that analogy. I, I, I believe he has. Hmm. Uh, if he hasn't, I have anyway. <laughs> um, sure. um, and um, so that that's a powerful analogy to religion. Um, I think. All, yes. All, well, also um, the the belief that you can become a woman by saying you're a woman. And so even even if you have the anatomy of a man, even if you have a penis and a scrotum and things, you by simply standing up and saying, I am a woman, you become a woman. That's very like uh, the Catholic doctrine that by a priest blessing bread and wine, it becomes the body and blood of Christ. And the, the, the Catholic theological justification for that is the Aristotelian distinction between the essence um, of, of something, the, su the, 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 the true substance, and the accidentals. They, the, the, the fact that wine remains an alcoholic liquid is just its accidentals and the, the true substance that becomes the blood of Christ. And that's, that's very like saying, um, the accidentals of my body is male, but the true, the true substance is I'm a female because I declare myself to be female. So that, that's an, another an analogy with, in this case, Christianity. Would that suggest that Christianity, there's something about Christianity that is innate to our evolutionary psychology, the, that original sin, for example? I don't know about that. You're probably thinking of some sort of Jungian archetype. <laughs> there. I, I, um, I suppose it's just it's just possible. Um, 
I wouldn't want to pursue that too far, I don't think. I quite like the concept of the status game by uh, Will Store, this writer who I admire very much, who... He, and, and I think he just sort of popularized this idea that there are three main kinds of status um, and we all seek it in tribes. It's evolutionary psychology. And, and you might tell me this is this is nonsense. I don't know because I, I don't know much about this stuff. But um, one would be uh, dominance. You seek dominance because if you're the most dominant in the tribe, you'll get food um, and yes. shelter. And I think that, that, that sort of thing is plausible. And, mm, okay. and I think that um, that's the kind of good thing that we can get out of evolutionary psychology, yes. Uh, yeah, I find that fascinating. Yes. And success is another one. If you invented the wheel, they're going to give you some food and shelter. Yes. And then if you're not successful or dominant, you resort to the third one, which is virtue. And you don't have to be a virtuous person. You just have to show the rest of the tribe that you are virtuous. Yes. Does that ring true to you? Yes, it does, yeah. Hmm. I, I wonder if, so if that's just going on. But I guess when it's so obvious... It doesn't work. So if somebody's trying to be, if someone's too obvious about trying to be virtuous in that tribe, you would all just go get out of here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I don't know. So I wonder if virtue signaling is part of our evolutionary psychology, and maybe, and maybe magical thinking as well to an extent. Did that help us survive? I think virtue signaling could be uh, magical thinking. Um, I suppose it it could you could get status by big, getting a reputation as a as a magician who's able to commune with spirits or something <laughs> that's true a witch doctor or yeah. how do you get status then because we all have if we all seek it and i don't think you do by virtue would it be success what what is it what does that did that drive you over the years i've heard you mention physics envy i know you're not a physicist well i've never said that i suffer from physics envy myself i don't no. think but it, it it's a witticism which i Tribute to Peter Medawar. I'm not sure if that's that's right. Um, like biology envy is there such a thing? Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, academics generally, I think, seek status just like anybody else does. But I, I don't want to go into that too much. Mm. I, the reason I thought of it is because you know you had this uh, interview last year, I think, with Jordan Peterson, and I noticed he he spoke differently when he spoke to you to how he normally does. He elevated language, and it, it, I wondered, like, oh, I wonder if these guys who I, I see you guys as like very high up, you know, successful, intelligent, uh, also have that kind of... I don't know, did you sense that at all? Oh, um, say that again. I'm not sure I got that. You said he, hmm. he spoke differently. He used... Um, um, often he's doing sort of his YouTube and stuff, and he's speaking to, uh, I suppose, people like me, uh, lay people, um, and he's, he uses shorter words. And when he was speaking to you, some of the sentences, I found a little bit word salady. I, found, I find it very interesting, uh, but it was like, I don't quite know what he's... And I noticed the same when he spoke to Stephen Fry. And I thought, when he speaks to you and Stephen Fry, is he elevating his language and maybe there's this sort of competitiveness? I wouldn't want to comment on that individual. Um, I noticed that I myself change my language when I'm speaking to... When I'm writing for children, when I've, I've written a couple of books for, for young people, and, and then... When I'm writing for professional, well, adults, let's say, um, I, without really thinking about it, if, if I read the, those books, I notice that my vocabulary does change. You, 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 you have in your mind, I think, a, 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 an audience, a sort of hypothetical audience, and it does change the way you, the way you speak, the way you uh, write. It does for me. With regards to uh, we were talking about you know the binary women and men and the, the idea that you can think that you're a man and be a man or think you're a woman. Did you see that coming at all, like 10, 20 years ago? Not at all, no. Like, 
it, it is odd. I, I think I, it's lunatic, actually. I mean, it's 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 verging on insanity. Um, so I did not see that coming. I mean, I I could have imagined writing a satirical novel about it, <laughs> but that's about it. Yeah, I remember Ricky Gervais makes a joke about that when he he says. Uh, I think it was just that. It was like the one thing nobody said 10 years ago. That would be the worst thing you can say on Twitter is women don't have penises. Now that's that would get you... you yeah, know. yeah. Um, I mean, the only thing I can think to, to, to top that is identify as a, as a dog. I mean... <laughs> I can imagine now if, there'll be so many angry comments even, even now just from this. And I just don't... I don't know. It's a weird thing. I, I want to respect everybody and understand everybody, but it just really is something that... Okay, so is there... Any, is, if you have to really stretch your mind, is there any scientific backing for the concept of somebody's, like there's a woman brain and a man brain? And oh, there men... might be that. There might be uh. that. But, but to, to go from that to saying because you, you have a, a female outlook on life or something, <clears throat> uh, therefore you are a woman. I mean, that, that is just debauching language. Um, it's, it's one thing. I mean, it's perfectly legitimate to say, I, I'm a man, but I feel a certain feminine attitude to things I feel perhaps I think like a, like a woman that's fine I mean that, that that doesn't that doesn't worry me at all but to then say therefore I am a woman is just a a, a betrayal of language of of, of, of of truth and the and the, the virtues of of honest communication I find the ideology very conservative because it it, it tells me that if my son uh, wants to play with things that are typically feminine or stereotypically feminine, then they have to change to fit in. They yeah. have to become a woman yeah. to fit in with yeah. that. Yes, I quite agree. Oh, it's a crazy mm. thing, really. Mm. So, okay, so if we are just to go out there a bit, I mean, are there aspects of brains that are, are male and, and, and typically female? Probably. Uh, I don't know much about it. I, I, I wouldn't wish to deny that. Um, but it, it's, it's not a very profound observation I, I think that you can you can find um aspects of feminine sympathy in some male people and vice versa and and, and it would be surprising if that were not so but as, as i said but to, to, to go from that to the positive statement i am a woman um is is verging on insanity hmm. is it dangerous well i think that um it, it, people who, who certain people like um, Kathleen Stock and J.K. Rowling have have suffered in their lives and their careers um, as a consequence of speaking out and, and in, on behalf of women, um, and th th they so far haven't, I think, actually suffered physical. Yeah, danger, but they, some of them have come close to it. The saddest part about J.K. Rowling is that she was um, uh, abused by her first husband um, and left in the street in in a, a pool of her own blood in I Portugal. I didn't know that. Yeah, mm. before she wrote Harry Potter, um, and she had a very difficult time during that time. So for her, it's a really personal thing yes. you know, uh, about yeah. women's spaces and changing rooms yes. and things like I didn't, that. I did not know that. It's so mm. sad. It's so mm. sad to think that. And then she's, yes. she, the Harry Potter stuff, I mean, it's an, it's an analogy for the, the Nazis. I, I don't know. Have you read Harry Potter? I have, yes. Did you enjoy I, it? I, I didn't. Know. Well, yes, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I held out against it for a while, but then I, I discovered that Stephen Fry was reading it and yes. I, I can't I can't resist Stephen Fry and so 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 I 
I, I listened to him and, and um, I liked it. I mean, she quite a lot of what I like is that she's actually sending up the the, the magical stuff. I mean, the, the, um, it's it's so kind of satirical. I didn't know it had anything to do with the Nazis. That, that that's oh the whole well as it goes further into the whole mythology. I think there's like the good and the bad and the pure bloods. Uh, okay, is, I, I was carry on. I was I've, I've only read the first two or three books. I think. Oh, uh, they develop. It's funny because it's so brilliant. So I I'm going to show off now, right? So I re- I can speak five languages, and each each time I learned a new one, I did it through Harry Potter in oh right Spanish yes. or yeah. French. So mm. there's the seven or I think it's seven books. I'm not sure. And what's brilliant about it as a language tool is they start very much for children. They're like a, for an, a reading age of eleven or twelve, and the the writing becomes a little bit more complex. Yes, it's not. Dostoevsky at any point, but it's uh, uh, it starts to get there by the by the final book. You're really in this big epic about uh, the the bad people who want everyone to have the pure blood, you know, like the okay. Nazis. Okay, yes, that yeah. sounds very interesting. Mm, so I shall I shall resume. Yes, my my Stephen Fry listening. <laughs> He's great, Stephen Fry. Yes. I heard him talk a little bit about about doing those audiobooks and there were certain words he was tripping over. And yes, he, I, heard, I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> he asked J.K. Yeah. Rowling, yeah. can I do different words? And she said, no. Yes. <laughs> Which, fair enough, if you're yes. the writer, you yes. know. Gosh. Stephen Fry, have you d- d- done debates with him? I'm, I'm just remembering now, because I know he did Intelligence Squared. Was that with you or was Christopher Hitchens? Yes, it was Christopher Hitchens. Um, I, I've encountered him from time to time. I like him enormously. He's a mm. wonderful man. We should get him... Get him in. I'd yes. love to meet Stephen yes. Fry as well. Mm. Fantastic um, person. So yeah, the J.K. Rowling thing I think is really sad. Do you notice, I don't know, uh, there sometimes seems to be different decades where we're a bit more, sens- is the word censorious? Yes. Yeah, we're a bit more censorious for sort of a decade and then, we're, then we sort of relax a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Children rebel against their parents. Yes. Do, you, do you think that might be what's really going on? Possibly. Yes, could be. What does the... Um, the poetry of reality mean that's your substack at the moment and podcast coming out yes well i think um reality as understood by science is amazing and wonderful and the fact that we can apprehend it the fact that we can understand it the fact that we uh unlike any of our ancestors up to a century or so ago two centuries maybe um really hadn't a clue why we existed and wh- where we come from. And and we now have a very good understanding of that. And it's beautiful. I mean, the, the, the beauty of understanding, the poetry of understanding is, is what I mean by science as the poetry of reality. I suppose some people could argue, because they used to think stars were, I think, what, holes in the heavens or something. Yes. That, in some senses, that's more beautiful than bubbles of gas. No, it? it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. And why is it because it's, it's truth that it's more beautiful? Well, partly that, but also, apart from being true, the alternative, the idea of it being holes in the sky, is just so petty, it's so small, <laughs> it's so, it's so um, unromantic, it's just parochial. I sort of wish it were true sometimes. Oh, come on. Because I want to go, I want to continue living. Well, that's okay, you go on, but, but I mean... You, Believing that the stars are <laughs> holes poked in the sky is not going to help you continue living. It's well, the suggestion would then be, like if the heavens were beyond it and it's heavenly light pouring through, the suggestion would be that I then get to ascend to that plane. If you want to go on living, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, and, go and live in the, in <laughs> the, the heaven of any, any religion. I would. Incredibly boring. Yeah, better, well, less boring than the alternative. 
I doubt it. Really? I doubt it. I always think of like, okay, how, because I, my religion would be, because I'm an atheist as well. And, and I, again, all my viewers start messaging, no, you're not, you're an agnostic because you don't know or something like that. But, I, you know, I think I'm in, I would say I'm, I'm probably an atheist. Um, but, well, I definitely am. But my religion is, is sort of a thing probably at the back of my head that's going, but you're never going to really die. So you're going to be, um, maybe there'll be virtual reality. I was thinking about this, some sort of virtual reality that, makes you experience time when you're in the virtual reality you know you can spend years and years but you're actually lying there in real life for just seconds if they could slow down your mind or something like that so i'm sort of holding out for that wishful thinking or that they'll discover something in quantum physics is there anything there (laughs) i don't think so um no i think you've got to face up to reality never (laughs) is there a time when that happens did you did you have angst uh younger about about that reality Yes, I suppose so, yes. Professor Paul Bloom said recently, um, um, he was saying that you spend your first half of your life sort of writing your CV and the second half is you're your writing your eulogy. Does, does that resonate with you? No. Um, no, I, I, th- I think it, I don't make any distinction between first half and second half. I've been doing the same thing all the time. Mm. He was trying to make me feel better, I think, about getting older. And he was like, yours get used, you'll accept more and you'll look at your sort of... I see, yes. Mm. Um, Yeah, well, um, I I just carry on thinking I'm about 18 and and get on getting on with what I do. Yeah, I think that's a a, a good way to do it. Mm -hmm. The poetry of reality, tell me a little bit about what that's... I mean, it's a substack now, right? And then it's going to be a podcast? Uh, Yes. it is, uh, and I shall be. Intervie- I'm doing much the same as what you're doing. I think. I mean, I, I shall be interviewing people, um, and probably doing some contributions of my own. Um, maybe writing stuff um, directly uh, and putting up things that I've done before. Putting up um, on on new, the YouTube channel. Putting up um, broadcasts and things that I've done before. Yeah. Have you got interviewees in mind yet? Because I haven't received my invite yet. <laughs> I, I haven't given it very much thought, but 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 um, yes, that sounds a good possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Would you get me on? I'd come. I'd, I'd, I'd you would. You love it, would you? Yeah, of course I would. Yeah, okay, I'm up for that. I yeah. think I can offer a layperson perspective to things. Maybe that's well, what you I, want. I mean, I, I think we could talk about your your that your Argentinian um, exorcist. Exorcist, yes, that would be very good. I would be up for that. You've yeah. had, you've had to say yes because I've cornered you now. Yeah, yeah. I won't get an email back yeah. later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was looking at some of the discussions that are on your Substack because I think these are really interesting, and maybe we can go. It's only been the, uh, open for about a day, hasn't it? I think. I, I think so. Yes. Yeah, I'm 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 on these. You know, I'm yeah, checking out okay. all the stuff. <laughs> if you okay, what is this? Scientists in the U.S. and Canada banned the words women, mother, and father. Um, oh, that's not one of yours, actually. That's just me saying it, isn't it? There are some words. I never said that. Yes. Yeah, that was just me. Um, <laughs> my notes were mixed up. Yes. There are some words that I, I suppose they go into the other side of your brain, I'm told. Again, you'll know more about this than I will. But I remember, again, Stephen Fry put his hand in some cold water. And if he swore a lot, it enabled him to do it for longer. And I think the reasoning was that these words were in a sort of, they weren't in the language, they were sort of on the other. I see. Does, does that make yeah. sense? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I just assume you'll, I'll assume you'll know all the sciencey mm. things, but there's all different, it's different um, domains, isn't it? Um, and those words apparently go into the, the other side, um, swear words, sacred words. You, you might not say, uh, or I know I'm not allowed to say the N word, for example. Is that reasonable? 
I know nothing about um, what, what is is what reasonable that that we shouldn't say the n word. Well, I think you have to. Yes, I mean, I, th I think it's reasonable. Yes. Yeah, or there's an f word for for gay people. Okay, a right. bundle of sticks. Yes, I had to think about that. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> those are like well, that's the interesting. That, this was also John Matt Water actually. Yes. Um, he was saying that these sacred words. I love the linguistic stuff, and he yes. was saying that sacred words change over time. Yes. So uh, it was um, bodily functions. Fuck shit, hell. I don't mind saying these. It's not going to get my YouTube taken down. Uh, oh no! First was the religious ones. Hell, damn, those kinds of things. Yes. Then it was shit and fuck. They became the. Yes. Uh, they were as we moved on as a society, and then it became identity. That's been the last thirty, forty years. As long as that is it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, that's yes. we've moved into that, and it's. I guess some of us we're trying to come to terms with it, but they've become sacred like any other religion. Yes, that's interesting. Yeah, I said like, well, what will be next? And he said, you never know, but it could be something like related to climate change, as that's going to become incredible. He said, uh, yes. imagine calling somebody a windmill. <laughs> yes, that's interesting. <laughs> I like that. Mm. Yeah, I love thinking about those those th those kinds of things, but with the linguistics, I do so too, it, yes. it might just be a temporary. A temporary phase with this identity thing. Yes, yes, it might. And there are good reasons as well, I suppose. Mm. It always comes it often comes from a good place, doesn't it? Yes, I think it does. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our US-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. There once existed a single individual female who was the most recent ancestor shared by you and a baboon. That one individual female had two individual children, one of whom is your ancestor, the other is the baboon's ancestor. Discuss. Yes, I'm interested in that. It's another of these things that's got to be true, but but you can't. It's off. It's difficult to see why <laughs> yeah, it's why yeah. it's true, um, since we do have a common ancestor with baboons. Um, you have to go back and back and back and back, and sooner or later you're going to hit one individual mother, who had these two children, uh, and um, then we're both descended from her mother and her mother and her mother. But there has to be one point, which was the branch point, and. Um, it was a single individual, and not just baboon, but snail. Uh, our common ancestor with a snail, which was way, way back in the Precambrian. Um, and there has to have been an individual, which would, would have been, goodness knows, some kind of worm, I suppose. Um, and, and we're descended from one child of that individual, and snails are descended from the other oh, one. Wow. Yeah. Not just snails, but... but Insects and and crustaceans and spiders and and um, and and on on the other side on on our side would be starfish and sea urchins and, and tunicates and things. The way my childish mind works is I'm seeing like a snail having sex with a starfish. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> I know. Yes, <laughs> I know. My mind creates a cartoon of, yes. of everything. Yes. So, so, but I guess it was just all. So there's. I guess there's. Does that mean there's one? baboon that all of us have come from no one one individual that that all of us came from and baboons came from i mean they're they're modern animals just as much as we are we we didn't come from them oh 
Well, you know that. Yes, I know that. I, yeah. mean, I, don't, know. I don't give it much thought. I, mm, yes. There's things I know, and then many years later, I don't know them anymore. Mm, I, need to, I need to be reminded of, of them. Um, if there, I think this is just, oh no, this is you as well. If there is extraterrestrial life, it's, it's nice getting your questions. I don't have to come up with questions. If there is extraterrestrial life, no matter how strange and alien it may be, there is one thing it will have in common with Earth life. It will be Darwinian. Yes, what you're doing is you're quoting... I, I, on my Substack, I mm -hmm. put up a, a sort of manifesto, and the thought, I thought of the way to do it was to put up a series of statements like that, um, just one after another. I think about about twenty of them, probably. Yeah, every one blew my mind. And 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 so that that that, and you you've been reading out a couple of them, and very nice too. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and that one was yes, if there is life elsewhere, and there almost certainly is, then it will be Darwinian, however strange it is, however alien it is, however hard it is for us to imagine the details of what it's like, I stick my neck out and say that, that one thing we can say about it, it will be Darwinian. It, it will have evolved by a version of Darwinian natural selection. I think that's the only possible way in which complexity, mm -hmm. the sort of complexity we associate with life, could come into being. Such a fascinating That's thought. open to, to re refutation by somebody who could think of a better way. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, we only know that one way. Yes. So we have a confirmation bias. Yes, exactly. It's, it's difficult to imagine. I suppose one other possibility, although it has, I, this is a cheat, I suppose, would be artificial life that was created by... Oh, they, yes, definitely. And, and, but, but that ultimately comes from a, a Darwinian source. So, uh, yes, not just artificial life, but, but the technology generally, which, which has many of the attributes of life, the complexity of life, um, does not evolve itself necessarily. You could make a case that it does, but, it, but I wouldn't want to make a strong case for it. But if there is advanced technology on the planet, then ultimately that will have to have come from a Darwinian life form that designed it. That's a really interesting thought. Mm -hmm. Do you give much thought to the... Um is it the Fermi paradox? Um, Where are they? Yes. Where is everybody? Yes. Um, Fermi, the, the physicist who, who said, "Who said, where is where is everybody?" <laughs> um, and um, he was wondering why they haven't made contact with us, why we haven't picked picked them up. Um, you shouldn't you shouldn't wonder why they haven't arrived, and we're, we're never going to meet them in person. I think the distances are too great, but. Um, it's a worthwhile enterprise to scan the heavens for um, messages. And it's an active SETI. It's, it's the, 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 study, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence mm. SETI is an active project, which is, I think, well worth financing. Do you think then that when the Navy, I know the last couple of years there's been some news about they've spotted UFOs and things like that. Do you think that might be just uh, wishful thinking? Uh, yes, I, I don't believe that. Uh, I, th I think that, the, that if there is ever a first contact, it will come by radio or by electromagnetic radiation of some sort. Mm. Is that because again, I don't know much about radio and electromagnetic. Is that just the standard that they would use as well? Well, no, it's it's it, it's that that it, it it travels at the speed of light and, and it broadcasts in all, in all directions at the speed of light, and therefore, um, uh, since the such huge distances that are involved. You, you would not expect that, that an actual physical spacecraft would happen to come here. There are just too many other places for it to come to. And, and the, 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 the probability of, 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 of this, this one, one place in the universe, Earth, being the target of a 
of an actual mission is too is too low. But if it's being broadcast outwards mm. from some point source, um, then yes, it, it would, it's not unlikely that we would be along with everybody, everybody else, every other part of the universe, um, bathed in this message, and so we would pick it up. Mm. And yet, silence. So far, but then we haven't had the technology to listen to it for very long, and um, uh, I, I think there's quite a lot of hope that we will pick up something. Do you think that would be the greatest discovery of all time? Probably, yes. And suddenly you could make a good case for that. Would you accept then if they came down and if they actually came here, but killed us all quite quickly and painlessly, that it might be worth it just for the moment of awe? Well, I, I no, I don't think that. Uh, um, but I don't think it would happen either because I don't think I don't think that they would be able to get here. Yeah. I mean, if if they picked up a re, a, a return message from us. It would probably take a thousand years to get to them, and and so it's it's not a thing you can worry about actually physically coming here unless they've been planning it for so long uh, in secret and they use like wormholes or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, yeah, okay. I I I don't know enough physics to talk about that. I suppose something that's more imminent and likely is is maybe AI. People worry about AI, artificial intelligence. Yes. I don't. One thing I don't get. Everyone's talking about. Okay, my. We need to, the problem of alignment. We have to align our concerns with theirs, or you know, so that they want to do good for humanity, which in itself is impossibly difficult because every human wants something slightly different, um, and that if we get it wrong once and they're able to self-duplicate or whatever it might be, yes. self-improve, that we're done. That's it. Yes. But I don't understand why AI would want to get rid of us or ki or, or kill us. Well, it would depend upon what sort of aims were built into them, I suppose. Um, you could you could say that if you build into them, maximize the total happiness and minimize the total suffering in the world. Well, that would kill us. It might. <laughs> uh, you you could, could make a case for it, I think. Oh, my. Is that what you were going to say when I yes, interrupted you? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, just a point that... that, that um, uh, depending upon what the utility function you build in is uh, you could um but but um this is very speculative I, I, it's I, a very it's a really it makes for a really sort of creepy dystopian novel that this idea that we're, we're doing you good like oh i suppose that's how is it how 3000 in the two hell yeah, yeah. yeah yes um um do you know how hell got his name by the way no it's it's ibm one one um Letter back in, in the. Uh, oh no way! The, yes, H I. Oh, I believe you. Yes, I, IBM. We <laughs> go back back one to H and then. Uh, eight, um, wow, did that reflect concerns that IBM building all this computer stuff would be the end of us? No, I don't think so. I, I think it, I think it was just a little little joke that that, mm. that Arthur C. Clarke thought of at the time. It's creepy though, isn't mm. it? Mm. I'm afraid I can't let you do that. Or yes, yes, yes. Are you yes. good at accents? Uh, no, I don't think so. Do you think an AI can be sentient? I think I've got to say yes, um, but, um, but, but because we are, and we are built of physical stuff, and so there has to be some way in which uh, whatever it is that our brain has that makes us sentient must be simulatable in uh, a computer medium 
So if we built another Richard Dawkins just right here with all exactly the same stuff, he could even have your memories. That is a fascinating thought. I think that's got to be true. Um, and then the question, philosophers like that kind of thought experiment and you start to worry about things, wonder about things like, um, would we be the, would we be exactly the same? I, I think, the, would we diverge from that point? I suppose we would initially have exactly the same experiences and feelings. Um, and um, would one of us feel the pain of, if you stuck a pin in one, would, would the other one feel the pain? I think the answer to that is probably no. Um, and as time goes on, our experiences would drift apart and we would no longer be the same person. These are, I think it's quite a good thing that philosophers do this kind of thing. It's one of the things they do that I think is is quite worthwhile, these sorts of thoughts, thought experiments, impossible thought oh, yeah. experiments like that. Well, one of the first things about philosophy I read, I must have been about seven years old, and I read this book, and I don't remember what it was. Maybe someone will write in and tell me, but it was pink. And I seem to remember there was like an elephant on it, but it was for teenagers to read, I think, or, ch or children. And it had this thing where this story where people go to Mars to sort of uh, mine for whatever they're mining in Mars every day for work. They're commuting. So they were getting into a machine and it transports them there right away, like in Star Trek or whatever it is. And then you're on Mars and you come to realise what it's actually doing is destroying you and rebuilding you as a clone, I suppose, on the other planet. And now you can't get home. You know, and the question is, would you then, would you then walk into it and Mm -hmm. and go back yes. home yes it's one of the family of thought experiments which I find interesting would you? I, I need notice of that question yeah I think I would I would, I would just have to stay on Mars because mm, yes. I don't think the one of me that's created on Earth I, I don't think I'd be aware of that existence yes no you wouldn't be aware of it no Thank you, Richard Dawkins. I would also like to give a big shout out to my lovely fiance, Julieta, who just, I mean, we just <laughs> spent the day getting towed by a tow truck or lorry or whatever because our car broke down. Uh, what a palaver that all was. And we've just gotten back. As I record this, it's 10 past 10 at night and we get this up uh, by midnight, uh, you know, th well, I was going to say Wednesday night, but I suppose it's Thursday morning. Midnight, do you say, I guess you say midnight Wednesday when you're talking about for Thursday. I don't know. Between Wednesday and Thursday, betwixt the two, we get this episode up and running. So she's just editing the whole episode right now. And she's got an hour and 50 minutes to finish it. If you're listening to it right now, it means that she achieved it. But uh, I'm throwing some love her way as well as Richard Dawkins's way. So go to the Poetry of Reality Substack, sign up, and you will know all about his podcast coming out soon. I might go on it now, which is pretty cool. I'd love that. Um, and yeah, keep watching big, fun, exciting, on-the-edge episodes are coming up. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S., through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit.